Everyone struggles with fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, or some emotional issue. But what if I told you that you could exchange that life for one of victory? Are you interested? My name is Mark McKinn, and I'm joined with Dr. John Woodward. And together, we want to guide you into a complete and victorious identity in Christ. Our desire is for everyone to know Christ as Savior, Lord, and life, so that you can live victoriously, disciple strategically, and counsel effectively. Welcome to Glimpses of Grace. Well, welcome to Glimpses of Grace, episode number 23. And what a beautiful day it is, Dr. John. It's good to see you. How are you? Fine, Mark. We've had uh, some time away from the microphone, so it's good to be back for another recording session. Yeah, it's been a very busy fall for both of us. We have, uh, I know we talked about a couple of weeks ago how we were in South Africa, but since then, uh, man, we've been in North Carolina, Florida, I was in Cleveland, you've been in uh, the St. Louis area, and so for our new friends that are listening that we've met in the past few weeks, welcome to Glimpses of Grace, and welcome to all of you who have been listening, whether you just started or you've been with us all along the way. We are so thankful for each and every one of you. So today is going to be a great conversation, but John, before we get started, share with us from the Word. I was thinking of John chapter 7, Mark, where our Lord gives a wonderful invitation uh, where He says, the one who Thirst, let him come to me and drink. Then he promises, He who believes in me, out as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that great? Yeah. So there's various things that we thirst for forgiveness, meaning, hope, comfort. As we're going to get into in this session, we're going to see that as we recognize the thirst that we have in our life, how encouraging that we have the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, Lord, in life. The Holy Spirit who is there to quench that thirst. Amen. Amen. Well, before we get started, I want to let you know that if you would like a visual of what we're going to be talking about today, please go to our app and you can go to Google Play or to the Apple Store and just Search Grace Fellowship International, and you can find our app. And on the app, there are diagrams, one of which is called the Will Diagram. And uh, we're going to be talking about the soul today. And if you want to follow along and look while we are talking, I want to say just pause this, go download the app, pull that up, and you'll be able to see what we're going to be talking about today. So, Dr. John, a couple of... Episodes ago, episode 21, we kind of did an overview of the wheel diagram. Uh, The last episode, we talked a lot about the spirit. And for those of you that may have been struggling with assurance uh, or even the security of the believer, I hope and pray that was a a great help uh, to you. But today, we're going to be talking about the soul. And for those of you that may wonder, uh, you know, we teach a body, soul, spirit here at Grace Fellowship, and you can go back to previous episodes where we have uh, broken that down a little bit more. But John, kind of give us an intro when we talk about the soul of a person and how we relate to others. Kind of give us a little bit of an understanding of what we're talking about. Well, when we hear the term psychology, Mark, um, that word 
uh, describes how we are concerned about what's going on at the mental and emotional and volitional level of our lives. And some of our listeners have maybe studied psychology either informally or in school. And the term psychology has two words put together. The first word uh, is from the Greek word suke or soul, and then the study of. So it's the study of the human soul. And we're looking at it in terms of how we're not only a physical person, but we are an immaterial aspect, which is soul, but also spirit, as you mentioned. And today, as we speak uh, in particular about the soul, we're going to look at how, through our psychological nature, we have mind, we have will, we have emotions, and it's really the soul that's the seat of our personality. And through that soul, we relate to others. So we're one in our personhood. We have two separable aspects, physical and immaterial but then as we look at verses like 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we see that God wants to sanctify you and me, spirit, soul, and body. And as Hebrews 4.12 puts it, that the Word of God is like a sword that can distinguish soul and spirit. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to unpack that more today, aren't we, about how the soul functions, how that relates to counseling. And listeners, I think we're all going to identify uh, with the aspects of our mental and emotional and uh, behavioral functioning that's very relevant for experiencing the abundant life. You know, you mentioned psychology and um, just getting over an illness. When I was at my doctor, uh, he's been my doctor my my whole life, and I actually asked him this because, you know, we've used some statistics before that, you know, somewhere between 75% even up to um, you know, 90% of doctor visits are, you know, psychologically induced, right? And uh, and so I asked him, and I said, you know, we, we kind of threw out a number that sometimes up to 8 out of 10 doctor's appointments are based in, you know, what originates in, you know, a psychological issue in the person. And he said, oh, 1,000%, that's true. And I, I was actually shocked that he would agree with that. And he, you know, of course, my doctor is a believer, and so we actually began to talk about this. And he said, you know, you need to give me your card because I need to send some people to you because they're looking for medication and you seem to have the answer. And I said, well, it's, it's, it's biblical. But uh, so I think this is very important about, um, you know, what we're going to talk about today. So for those of you that may uh, not have the app, and uh, or maybe you you know you're driving down the road. You know, a couple of episodes ago, we said if you could imagine a um, a circle and then uh, kind of put a peace sign in that circle, and then in the middle of that peace sign, you have like a little hub. And that hub, I want you to picture as a heart. And John, the reason that we do that is because before we really start talking about the soul, that hub, that heart, that center. There's really only one of two things that can be in there. And what's in there is very, very important for either you living in daily victory or not. What do you say about that? The heart is such a key aspect of biblical psychology, right? Where it says in Proverbs, guard your heart with all diligence because from the heart flows the issues of life. Now, sometimes we speak of heart in the Bible in terms of our new human spirit, which is uh, our previous episode where Ezekiel and Jeremiah talk about in the New Covenant, God gives the believer a new heart. And in that context, it means that we have a new spirit. But here, Mark, as we talk about our functional source of living, we have in this wheel diagram that Dr. Solomon designed 
the hub represents our functional heart, and that would represent really the the seat of our reflection and motivation and affections. It's really um, our tendency to uh, depend on something for fulfillment in life. So as you and I walk people through this process in coaching and counseling, it all tends to revolve around the concept of what identity am I living out of? Mm -hmm. Is my functional source of living myself, which the Bible calls that self or or the flesh condition, or can it be the abiding life, which is, of course, uh, what the New Testament uh, declares and what we point to in our interpersonal ministry with folks? Yeah, in coaching, I like to tell people that the heart in the center is the lens by which you view all of life. And it is, it's, the, it's the glasses, you can say, that you're going to look through. And especially when we talk about the soul, what is in the center is really going to have a big impact on how you view the troubles of life, especially that are outside of the circle. You know, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, so you can bank on the fact that you're going to have trouble. But if he, the only way to have good cheer, he says, is through him, right? Because he's already overcome the world. But when you and I place ourselves in the center, then that lens is not looking to the overcomer. It's looking to someone who's been overcome. You know, Dr. Solomon talked about in the Handbook to Happiness that this center, you know, could be occupied by a person. That could be a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a child, boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, it could be success, you know, when you were talking about identity. Um, and, you know, maybe it's, you know, this struggle for you to become uh, the top of the ladder in the business um, that you're in. He even talks about how it could be sex or drugs or some other um, addiction that is there. But I really loved what he says here. He says, someone has said that we can drop the H from the word flesh, spell it backwards, and have the word self. And then he says, whatever is placed in the center, and that is either going to be self or Christ. So anything that's not Christ is going to be S for self. And he says, it becomes the driving force that empowers the soul, determining its attitudes and actions, and the ultimate worth of that which results. He says, self in the center of life means we are in control, or at least we're trying to be, of course, no one is able by himself to control his own life. So, John, if we were in a counseling session and you know, you've walked me through the spirit, now begin to walk me through the soul and how we use this to help people understand their identity, their identification with Christ, and the victorious life that is available to them. Well, that's quite a lead-in, Mark. So we, we were talking about how in this wheel diagram uh, has spirit, soul, body, and those who um, are not convinced that soul and spirit are distinct can at least have a dotted line between the two and talk about the functioning, uh, someone's spiritual functioning or soul functioning. I think we all agree that spirit and soul have different connotations. We believe it's more than an adjective. We believe there's nouns behind them. But as we proceed from the spiritual blessings we talked about last time, We're looking now at the mind, the will, and the emotions, which we're describing as soul. And we are noticing here, Mark, that it's possible to have new life in our spirit, but miserable life in our soul simultaneously. 
And many times when we're helping people, they have doubts about whether they are actually believers and their position in Christ because of, of their soul struggles. Now, even though we want to make sure that people clarify and confirm that they are in the faith, we want to also show them that it's very understandable that we can have a true born-again relationship with God and yet struggle in our mind, will, and emotions. And when they understand that, it gives them new hope and understanding to say that, okay, Jesus did come to give us life and life more abundantly. So now let's explore how the rest of the gospel is relevant uh, to the personal struggles that people are dealing with. And Mark, as you start to show people the functioning of the soul, do you find that they kind of lean in and get pretty interested? Yeah, in fact, when you were talking about that, this happened to me last week in a coaching session, and that was someone that was struggling with doubt, went to their pastor, and the pastor just told them to read the Bible and to pray, and they did, right? Because they thought, okay, maybe that's the answer, but yet they still struggled with doubt. And so I was able to walk them through the wheel diagram and say that, you know, some of the doubt that you're dealing with is occurring in your soul, but it is not true in your spirit because not only have you been saved, but there is assurance, security, and acceptance in Christ. And so that brought, you know, this young guy a lot of hope and a lot of understanding that the doubting that he had was because he was in the center of his life. So he was doubting in his soul, but his spirit was redeemed. So I think it's very important. So sometimes people can feel unsaved or feel distant from God where they know the Bible verses that God will never leave them or forsake them, but it's more of a a psychological issue. And as we walk people through this diagnostic process, often there's new clarity and understanding as to what's going on. And so really Mm -hmm. this part of our process is more of a diagnostic uh, phase of our people helping. By that I mean when you go to a doctor, Mark, you mentioned going to your doctor, um, the diagnosis needs to occur first. This person has this ailment. All right, now what is the protocol uh, to help that person get better? So as we empathize with people, get the context of what they're dealing with, we walk them through the spiritual blessings that believers have. Now we're the plot thickens, you might say, um, because the presenting problem, why people come in, uh, there are mental problems, there are emotional, behavioral problems, sin problems, strongholds. And so now in the soul area of the diagram, we're going to bring in a concept we've talked about before, Mark, the issue of rejection. And so we believe that everyone is created with ultimate needs, such as needs for love and acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. Need for significance and security and belonging and so forth. And so in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned, they had all that fulfillment through their unhindered relationship with God, uh, with each other, with their environment. But after the fall, things radically changed, right? Right. And so now we're born into a fallen world with our mortal body, with this quest for fulfillment. And as we walk people through biblical counseling, it's very obvious that they've been disappointed. We all have. Right. So now we're diagramming the effects of disappointment in our life. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading this morning a textbook, and uh, our friend Dr. Uh, Tan, in, in a book called Complete um, Competent Christian Counseling by AECC, is talking about uh, lay counseling. And as he summarizes some of his recommendations for people helping, and Mark, that's what Grace Fellowship seeks to do, is right. equip 
people to do not only pastoral counseling but lay counseling. He says uh, about human nature, there's a need for security, which is love, significance, which is meaning or impact, and hope, uh, namely forgiveness. And these are basic psychological and spiritual needs and longings of human beings. And so as we look at that in a practical way through the diagram, as we've heard about the disappointments that our counselee has gone through, there may have been really obvious rejection in terms of physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse or abandonment, things like that, sometimes in their childhood, sometimes in their adult life. We then show that there are psychological consequences of that, which are very understandable. Mm -hmm. The person is experiencing them, but they've never really connected the dots as to maybe why they're struggling. So the first three symptoms that we list, Mark, all start with the letter I, uh, actually I-N, and these three are in most people. Mm. Inferiority, Mm -hmm. insecurity, inadequacy. I'll just repeat those three words. Inferiority insecurity, inadequacy. Let's define them, okay? Yep. So when we have not had those needs met for significance and validation, it's natural that we're going to have some degree of inferiority, feeling less than, feeling mm. like we, we don't measure up. Yeah. And as we walk through these principles, so often, Mark, um, people respond, don't they? Like, yeah. yeah, it's exactly how I feel. Right. And again, this is not the answer yet. We're still in the diagnostic phase. But right. when people understand what's going on, they really get much more invested in staying tuned, mm-hmm. <laughs> as it were, for the Christ-centered solutions that, right. that we're moving toward. Insecurity. Uh, there's a chronic need, isn't there, Mark, for uh, people to overcome fear and worry and yeah. anxiety. And it's a huge problem in our, in our culture and in our world right now. It's pretty understandable. So if we haven't had that sense of physical and emotional protection growing up, then chances are we're going to feel insecure. And these are primary psychological symptoms that most people have, as we said. And the third N word is inadequacy. And often when uh, we grow up, we get more criticism than compliments, more Mm. um, discouraging feedback than encouraging feedback. So for most of us, there is a feeling of inadequacy, feeling like I just don't have what it takes to really be successful. Mm. And so as we walk through these symptoms, we're saying that these are understandable psychological effects of the disappointments of life because we depend so much on our relationship with others mm-hmm. to get these needs met, right, Mark? Especially yeah. our parents and family growing up. And then as we go to school, um, we are very uh, vulnerable mm-hmm. to uh, the, the uh, <laughs> verbal abuse and put-downs and competition that often happens at school. So, Mark, as you talk with folks about these three inwards, uh, what kind of feedback do you often get? I think it's really important for us to be reminded, you know, a lot of psychologists and or uh, therapists have, you know, labeled those born after 9-11 as the anxious generation. And when you were talking about you know, those insecurities, not feeling safe, you know, a lot of these younger people in life they don't remember a time when you could go to a movie and not worry about getting shot or go to school and not worry about getting shot. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, you know, you and I probably have stories of walking a loved one to the very gate 
and them getting on the airplane and us standing there watching the airplane take off and wave. I remember sending my mother off on a trip when I was a child. And now, you know, we're taking our shoes off and doing everything else. And so, you know, there is so much playing into this. And, you know, the National Science Foundation put out not too long ago that we have around 12 to 50,000 thoughts a day. Listen to this. 80% of them are negative. So, of course, it's not just what other people is saying about us that's making us feel inferior or inadequate. We ourselves are making ourselves feel inferior and inadequate. And so, you know, I, I've never met with anybody when you're walking through these first three words that say, oh, yeah, I don't deal with that. Everyone does, all of us, you know, at some point or another. Now, the next is guilt. And I want you to identify this, and I want you to speak into this, because when we say guilt, we mentioned there can be real guilt and there can be imaginary guilt. And so I want you to to speak into that a little bit. Well, last time we talked about the spiritual dynamics of us as human beings, we said that we have intuition, conscience, and communion. So when we violate our conscience, when we do something that's wrong, there's going to be some pain, which we call guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our our need to walk in righteousness. So sometimes there's legitimate conviction by the Holy Spirit where we're disobeying God's word, we're violating our conscience, kind of like our nervous system. You know, Mm. if you put your hand in a hot stove, you know, those pain sensors are going to really let you know there's going to be a painful consequence. And when we sin, when we disobey God, when we're not um, allowing Christ to live through us, then our conscience and our spirit sends a signal to our mind and our emotions saying, this wasn't right. Um, and so there's a, a sense of unease, of sorrow, of of guilt. Now, the reason we say real, and Dr. Solomon also adds the word imaginary, is that for the believer, if we're in Christ, we are pardoned once and for all, which is really amazing, isn't Amen, it? Amen, yeah. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, Romans 8, one, And yet, when we sin, we still do have a need to confess, to repent, to realize that sin grieves us and it grieves the Holy Spirit. But sometimes, Mark, there can be imaginary guilt where we may have guilt that's not based on truth, but it's based maybe on emotional mm-hmm. echo from the past. Maybe mm-hmm. someone has been raised in a in a home that was really harsh discipline and unrealistic expectations and so they feel like they, they're just guilty for taking up space. Right. <laughs> um, one person's testimony heard of, she said she knew that she wasn't an expected child, so she felt like she should never take up much space because she didn't deserve to be here. Mm. So there can be some false guilt, maybe from thinking that they weren't planned or um, desired by their parents, or maybe there's sin that has been forgiven by God, but they may have not forgiven themselves. Mm. So we want to clarify one. that that uh, guilt is an emotional consequence of a violated conscience, or it can be kind of misplaced based on a false belief. You've heard the term uh, blame shifting or shame on you. So some people make us feel guilty for what is really uh, not our personal responsibility. I think sometimes we put this idea in ourselves that there's these sins that cannot be forgiven. And we'll, and we'll throw those in 
would that also not be imaginary guilt? These these sins that we've made up, or not make necessarily made up, but we've we we've made up the idea that we can't be forgiven from them, and that would then be an imaginary guilt, right? Yes, um, just in our workshop recently, uh, one of the participants had a real breakthrough when she realized that the precious blood of Jesus was not only adequate to cover her sins from when she was saved before then, but also right up uh, till today, I asked the question, well, how many of our sins were in the future when Jesus died for us? The answer, of course, is all of them were. Wow. And you yeah. can just see the light come on and and the burden of guilt lift mm-hmm. when when they realize that, that our pardon really is complete and absolute. That's not a license to sin. It's an incentive to walk in fellowship with God and confess when we do um, step out of his will and experience legitimate conviction mm-hmm. of sin. But it is liberating to know that um, imaginary guilt is not resolved by penance or trying harder to get rid of it. It's actually displaced um, by truth. Just That's as good. darkness is displaced by the light, we displace false guilt with the truth of uh, God's amazing gift of forgiveness and the righteousness that he gives to us as those who are in his beloved Son. And I think this is important, John, because you know we have the flesh that we're battling from within. We have an enemy that we're battling from without. And you know, guilt in and of itself is a good thing if it drives you immediately to the Lord. Right? You did something wrong. You go to the Lord, who you know now as a believer is is not functioning as the judge, but as your father. And we ask for forgiveness. But what I tend to find a lot is that people who do not allow guilt to allow them to run to the Lord, that guilt turns into shame. You know, guilt, I did something wrong, but shame is attacking your identity. And shame is, I am the wrong. But then, if you don't run to God with your shame, that turns into condemnation. But as you've mentioned, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, I, I in coaching a lot, I, I really ask people to memorize that verse, Romans 8.1. It's such a powerful truth. And as you said, that's how we're overcoming these imaginary guilts. So just as there can be real guilt that needs real forgiveness, we're going to point people to resolve um, guilt biblically, you know, through repentance and knowing their pardon in Christ. And also, if they are dealing with the imaginary guilt, to show them that the truth does set us free. Mark, I was uh, thinking about this issue that when I was a boy, I uh, was intrigued by getting a fountain pen. I think I was about eight years of age. And so I get the fountain pen. And this is, a for those of you who aren't familiar with a fountain pen, it's a hollow pen where there's a little lever. You put the tip of the pen in an ink well, and you pull up the lever, and it draws up uh, the ink into into the pen. So this is... a more of a, an older style pen. So I was intrigued with it, and, and uh, I thought a good place to load up my pen would be on my bed. Mm. You can see where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. right? So I spilled the ink, and there's this huge you know, blue uh, disc on my, on my uh, blanket on my bed, and I'm, I'm saying, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I can't, can't uh, get it out. And so I remember at uh, uh, the end of the day, my mom comes in to... Uh, let me say my prayers. And she noticed I'm really fidgety and guilty. And then she pulls the bedspread down and there's this huge disc of, of blue ink. So I'm, I'm reminded of how we sometimes feel that, that sense of unease, of shame. We want to hide 
uh, our stains. But you know, Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, our Lord is speaking, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that's an Old Testament scripture from Isaiah 1.18, but in the New Testament we have it fulfilled through the finished work of Christ in a marvelous Amen. way. Yeah. Well, then the other three words here that we have may not need a lot of defining, but they are words that all of us are struggling with, and that is worry, doubts, and fears. And these are common um, struggles that we have uh, with the issues we've already talked about. Um, it's so easy to to just worry in general about the uncertainties of life. And then you mentioned uh, this person struggling with doubt, uh, and those doubts can also gnaw away at our confidence. And then fears. There's so much to be afraid of mm-hmm. in this post-COVID world and in this war-torn world. Um, so worries, doubts, and fears are also listed here in the diagram. And Mark, as we've said so often, people look at this diagram and they say, that's me. Right Now, the S in the center of the circle, which represents the selfish uh, condition or the self-life uh, condition, uh, we, we believe that all these are linked to me trying to function independently of God, which right. the Bible describes as the flesh. Yep. And so we're going to come back to that theme uh, more than once as we walk through this process. Um, but uh, these are primary psychological symptoms that most people have. And there may be a listener that says, you know, this sounds um, relevant, but also seems like we're veering into a lot of psychology. Well, in this part of the process, friends, it is a diagnostic process. And we believe that the Lord has come to heal the brokenhearted. So in order for people to appreciate the cure, we want to empathize with them uh, why there is a need for the cure. Mm -hmm. And so, so often when we take time to explain these concepts and put them into the context of human experience, then people really become uh, very appreciative that this is not only a diagnostic process, but a remedial process where we show them how the Christ-centered life is the answer. And I think it's important to, John, when we talk about the problems in life, whether that is family issues, um, financial issues, work-based issues, or the rejections of life, which you've talked about, These frustrations are like a funnel that are going straight into, you know, that heart in the center. You know, what I tell people in coaching is that is a tornado of emotion. Now, when you're in the center of your life, right, like you mentioned, acting independently of God, doing what you want, when you want, how you want, well, that tornado of emotion is going to cause a lot of, of emotional baggage and damage within your soul. What's going to come out is something that we need to discuss as well. So you have these problems coming in. They're funneling into you know this, this, this functional center. Whether Christ or self is in the center is going to determine what's coming out. There's either going to be a reaction or a response. But when you are in the center of your life, what's going to come out is a hostile reaction. So talk about that. 
isn't it natural for us to get in a traffic jam or to have a disagreement and all of a sudden fly off the handle and get angry? And Dr. Salman describes that in the diagram as a frustration slash hostility reaction, as you said. And so um, we can either explode or implode. We can right. either let off steam through uh, uh, pitching a fit and getting angry or whatever, or we can, we can internalize that. And so in the first part of our broadcast, we've been walking through symptoms that are primarily disappointments from the past. And now we're transitioning to dealing with problems in the present. And often those problems are frustrating and cause a reaction, Mm. um, which is fleshly and sinful, but it's also understandable because uh, we want to be uh, in control. And often the problems of life are beyond our control. And Dr. Solomon lists problems such as family problems. It could be marital, could be uh, problems in, in parenting or with siblings or extended family, um, financial problems. I mean, problems that dealing with uh, making ends meet and and uh, credit card uh, debt or paying the bills or things like that. Problems at work, um, maybe with your boss or fellow employees or meeting expectations. And so the various situations we're in in life, uh, difficulties at school, these are more uh, contemporary pressures that we're dealing with. And these things are very frustrating, aren't they, Mark? They are. And as you said, that reaction is going to cause us to blow up or clam up. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to blow up, that's going to be maybe you know some kind of attitude. Maybe that's going to be yelling. Um, maybe that's where you know some addictions, some abuses are going to come in. Um, but then you know, when you clam up, you're going to do that either in your mind or in your emotions, because remember the soul is where your mind, your will, and your emotions are located. So talk a little bit about that. So let's say this is someone clamming up in their mind. Um, you know, this, this could be fantasy, right? Um, so maybe the person that blows up an addiction may be the person that's, you know, going to run and try to drink their way or, as was my case sometimes, John, eat my way out of an issue. But yet we live in a world now where you can go home and lose yourself in Netflix or some other streaming device, which isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. But if you're using this streaming service to just get away from your problem, then that's sin, just like the person that eats their way or tries to drink their way out of that. What are some other ways in our minds that we might clam up when these problems are coming in and we're in the center of our life? Well, we're looking for a way of escape mentally, aren't we? Because anger is kind of like emotional adrenaline. You know, in the body, that hormone adrenaline mobilizes us to to uh, overcome an emergency. And so anger in and of itself is not wrong, right, friends? Ephesians 4, be angry but sin not. Mm-hmm. But if we don't allow legitimate anger to help us solve a problem in an appropriate way. So often, uh, it becomes toxic where the the sun goes down in our anger, or we stuff that, or as you put it, we clam up. And that internal pressure is looking for a way of escape. And often the mind is like an escape valve. If you think of your home, if you plug too many devices into one electrical outlet, you may depending on your electrical system, blow a fuse or pop the circuit breaker. And the mind is kind of like that. It can be Mm. overwhelmed, and then it starts to malfunction. And one way we might intentionally escape is through choosing to go into unreality. 
and now we have virtual reality headsets and everything yeah. from from A to Z in terms of people escaping. And like you said, it could be um, in the right context, but so often it is such a entertaining virtual reality that a person may neglect actual reality to go into unreality in a in a sinful or unhealthy or a damaging way. I so, see that a lot. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I want to be PG on the podcast, but you know where I see this the most? With the person who is becoming addicted to pornography, using fantasy through the self-life, when really what they wanted to begin with was that intimacy with their spouse. But maybe because of you know multiple things that we're not going to get into, there was a, a, a rejection that was felt, and therefore the hostility that went out from them was, well, I, I have a need, and they justify the said need. And then the fantasy part kicks in of that clamming up, and that's where for some people, not everybody, but for some people, that's where the first look begins, and I, th- I think this is so important for people to understand because, you know, thus that one look years from now becomes a full-blown, you know, addiction. And some people are losing their marriages over this. It's very important. And our Lord says the one who sins becomes, you know, a slave of sin. And those behaviors become very enslaving, as you mentioned the word addiction, and addiction is so costly in terms of relationships, health, reputation, and there's that downward spiral of, of needing more and more drug or more and more porn or more and more uh, alcohol to anesthetize the pain that we're trying to escape. And so when we talk about the wheel diagram in terms of uh, internalized hostility, the mind can choose escape through drugs or alcohol or some counterfeit virtual excitement but then often the mind gets further into the web of unreality and becomes uh, psychotic where there can actually be a disconnection mm. between our mind and our emotions wow. we where uh, a person may actually be hospitalized because of how irrational their fears are mm. um, their fears can get fears there can be a, a paranoia because a legitimate fear object needs to be a real danger and it needs to be a present risk. So if someone is afraid of something that's either not a real danger or not present, then it's paranoia. So these are some of the psychological or mind escapes that people choose. And what we're going to uh, connect the dots with is to see that all this can be related back to uh, the self-life or the fleshly self malfunctioning. And so here we're building a case for the simplicity mark of going from the self-life, which is me, as you said, me, myself, and I, or doing things how I want, when I want, compared to Jesus saying, I am the true vine, you are the branch. If you abide in me, then you can have uh, this fulfillment, this fruit. And so this is the process we're working toward, is to see that the self-life condition is the root problem. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we're going to provide hope to say that Christ as life can bring mental health. He can bring truth that can set us free. That's so good. Now, you have some stories, and I know we're running out of time today, but tell me a couple 
or our listeners a couple because there's been people who have you know phoned into you, emailed into you. I, I mean, people who can't leave their house and then you know they're attending graduations or singing songs in church. Share share one of those with us. One of the ones that are very uh, a vivid story from years ago was a lady who called Grace Fellowship. Uh, in Springfield, Missouri, saying, do you make house calls? And Dr. Salma said, no, sorry, I can't. Uh, why can't you come in for an appointment? And she said, well, I'm too miserable. Uh, why is that, he asked. Well, I can't leave my house. Um, I'm, too, I'm too fearful. And the term for that is agoraphobia. So he said, would you be willing to read a couple of our books that we use in counseling? She said she would. So someone dropped off a copy of Handbook to Happiness and the Ins and Out of Rejection. And this lady was really open to God's solution. So as she read the books and realized the root problem, uh, as we've been talking about, was the self-life. And she discovered what Galatians 2.20 is all about, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and mm. gave himself for me. Mm-hmm. God illumined her to that. And a couple of weeks after that reading, her breakthrough into freedom was so complete that she was singing a duet with her daughter in church. That's amazing. So she went from being a prisoner in her own home to being set free and having that kind of freedom without even having a human counselor. The Holy Spirit was her counselor using yeah. these counseling insights. Wow. wow. There is also a way, Dr. John, that we clam up in our emotions. And this is where depression and anxiety is born. Speak into that. Billions of dollars are spent on trying to resolve depression and anxiety. And the strategy is to use these chemicals to overcome these emotional problems. And we believe that a better solution is to realize that depression is going to become more severe when I cannot resolve the baggage from the past and the pressures from the present And so, therefore, I become more and more disillusioned. Mm. My version of self is not able to break free of the internalized hostility. And so we realize that everyone is going to have some degree of blues and discouragement from time to time. But here we see that depression can become really debilitating. And rather than seeing the need just to give someone some coping skills, we believe that it's really helpful to see that God never intended us to overcome the pain of the past deal with the pressures of the present, resolve hostility with just um, some self-help techniques. Mm. He has something so much better for us, which is the Holy Spirit-filled life. Amen. And you mentioned anxiety. Once again, anxiety is a huge, uh, probably the biggest um, psychological uh, challenge of our culture in these days. And again, rather than just a Band-Aid solution of even biblical counseling that just gives people some promises, which are great. It's great to have those promises. But we believe the best promise and most fundamental promise is that the Lord wants to be our very source of living. Colossians right. 3 verse 4 says Christ is our life. Mm-hmm. And so we shift from understanding these diagnostic factors, which are simply based, friends, on observing human experience. Your experience the people around you, clinical experience here at Grace Fellowship for five decades, of seeing that these are real and pervasive and debilitating symptoms that people have. But then we pivot on that, don't we, Mark, to shift into saying that God has a supernatural solution for these. 
when we apply that solution at the heart level. Right. And because of what you just said, John, that's why he also writes in Philippians 4, 6, to be anxious for nothing. So the reason that we can not be anxious is because of that truth that Christ is our life, that we have the power that raised the dead, Romans 8, within us. I think everyone that's listening can say, well, man, you you just described my life. That's what I said the first time I saw it. What happens when you exchange that and you allow Christ to be your life, as you just read? That changes everything. Anything else that you want to say before we stop today? We love to use the Bible reference, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, um, and where our Lord says, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. And friends, inferiority, inadequacy, um, insecurity, guilt, worry, the frustrations of life, internalized hostility, boy, are those heavy burdens. But he says, um, he wants to give us rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. We believe that's the yoke of discipleship that's grace-oriented, and that includes what Romans chapter 6 to 8 talks about in terms of the message of identification. Then he promises, you will find rest for your what? For your soul. Amen. That's where we need it, right, Mark? I think it's so important that we understand that he says, I'm going to give you rest for your soul because he's already given it to us in our spirit. Amen. So because our spirit's been redeemed in this life that we're living, this rest that I need is in my soul. We all need that rest from these emotional, mental, and behavioral issues that are happening in our life. I'm so glad you brought that verse up. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's an easy yoke, the imagery of the oxen yoked together, because he's, he wants to be our source of living. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit in us is meant to be our, our source of fulfillment that we've been talking about. And his burden is light because we're not under law, but we're under grace. Amen. Well, it's usually at this time that we have a glimpse of grace. In fact, a couple of weeks ago when I was up north, I was uh, speaking at a men's event and had the opportunity to talk about identity. And there was a gentleman who came up to me, John, and he said, you know, the first thing that you talked about was this idea that I'm a saint. And we get that from uh, Ephesians 1, verse 1. You can also get that from the you know 1 Corinthians 1. And he said, you know, I read a lot of Oswald Chambers, uh, my utmost for his highest. And he's always calling the believer a saint. And he said, Mark, you know, I have often thought to myself, one day, that will be me. And he said, based on what you've talked about this morning, today's that day. Mm-hmm. Because... It wasn't just something he heard. It was something he began to believe and trust to be true for himself. That it wasn't someone else is a saint, but he himself is a saint in Christ. And that is true for all of you that are listening. So it is true of you. If you want it to be true in you, you have to believe it and trust it to be so. Amen. Well, John, as we close, uh, we have started in our year-end giving, and we are running a campaign called Good Sense that was named by yours truly, Dr. John Woodward. (laughs) But we were in Florida uh, at the late summer, and we were given a penny by a young girl by the name of Denver who uh, was being taught by her mother that you can give a little to the Lord 
and he can turn it into a lot. And so that is something that we're wanting to do. And so if God is putting upon your heart that you would like to give to Grace Fellowship International, um, all of our counseling that we do since 1970 has all been done uh, free of charge. Uh, we only accept donations. And so uh, your giving allows us to keep our doors open, allows us to pay our bills. And so we are very appreciative of your generosity. But if you would like to give, you can go to our website and go to the donate page. You can call our office here, 865-429-0450, or go to the app and just click on the fund that says Good Sense. And all of the money that you give is going straight into our operational um, budget, and we are, again, very, very grateful. So, Dr. John, thank you. I hope that everyone listening has a great day. Thank you for listening to Glimpses of Grace. We pray today guided you into a more complete and victorious identity in Christ. If you would like more information about Grace Fellowship International, please visit us online at www.gracefellowshipinternational.com. If you would like to contact us, please send us an email, hello at gracefellowshipinternational.com. We hope you have a great day.